Welcome to Horsepower to Hyperloops, Kettering University's official podcast, where we serve up a smorgasbord of fascinating people, groundbreaking ideas, and noteworthy advancements in fields as diverse as mobility, healthcare, engineering, and technology. We realize that there's a huge demand for an internal combustion on or off-road. What we're trying to do is make it lightweight, portable, and efficient that can also run on truly renewable and carbon neutral fuels. That is the biggest thing that we're trying to accomplish that nobody else is working on today. Hi, I'm Tim Troop Noonan, host of Horsepower to Hyperloops. And that was John Kurzminski, Kettering University class of 2003, and the founder and chief technology officer of Alpha Auto, that's O-T-T-O, Technologies in Michigan, talking about his company's efforts to create clean, carbon-neutral combustion engine technologies for the off-road sector. Basically, those hundreds of millions of engines, from lawnmowers to ATVs to boats to drones and non-jet aircraft, for which electrification may not be possible or advisable. John, thank you for joining us today to discuss this unusual and somewhat hidden topic. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. I love talking about emissions and how we can reduce them. So I'm happy to be part of this podcast today, Tim. Well, that is the interesting thing is we're all about reducing emissions. We're all about electrified vehicles. We're all talking about electrification in place of internal combustion engineering. And we all think about cars. And then when we get really creative, we think about some other things, trucks and so on. But there's an entirely other sector, entire other sector, the off-road sector, I think you call it, where electrification and batteries may not be getting to it. And you are approaching that with Alpha Auto Technologies, but you're not approaching it with electrification or batteries, you are approaching it with rethinking the internal combustion engine, which is still dominant in that area. So tell me a little bit, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So tell me a little bit about the off-road sector that maybe slips under the radar when we're all thinking about cars. Yeah. So Tim, just in general, to kind of describe how big the engine and propulsion market is. There is over 2 billion engines in operation today. That basically means for every four people on the earth, there is an engine. So the amount of engines in the world that we rely on daily, and maybe we don't even notice, is astronomically high. The engines we tend to notice are the transportation sector. It's the, you know, the on-road, how we're getting to and from work. And as you mentioned, this this hidden area, the off-road sector. The off-road sector is kind of a weird sector in the sense of there's aviation, there's the true off-road applications such as ATVs and UTCs, and then there's marine applications. If you were to add all those up, your lawnmowers, et cetera, that accounts for almost as big of a population as the on-road passenger car sector as far as emissions production. So 
it is definitely an area of interest to us to tackle and to try to, to reduce emissions in that area. Let me jump in there a second to just give a headline to that, because that was really a, an eye opener to me. All the work that we're doing and people like GM are going to electrified vehicle, battery vehicles, and California won't allow any to be manufactured after 2030 and all this stuff. And we do all that. And we all feel great about that. And yet we're missing about half of all the admissions that we're talking about. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, you know, let me rephrase that. Half the emissions that we're talking about in light passenger vehicles. So, you know, the one thing that I want to highlight is there's the unfortunate part about this sector is there's so many engine usages, so many categories. But yes, we're missing a huge chunk of emissions that kind of go unseen. And I and I think, you know, I've I've told you this quote before, but a half an hour use of a leaf blower is equivalent to 3,000 miles of a Ford F-150 Raptor. Say that again. That's amazing. Yeah. 30 minutes of usage of a leaf blower, two-stroke leaf blower, is equivalent to that of the emissions of driving a Ford Raptor 3,000 miles. And we might not ever think of that. So if you're using your lawn equipment, you're, you're using a leaf blower, you don't really realize the impact you're having on the environment. We are definitely tackling this area. And what I want to clarify too, Tim, is we are definitely looking at using our technology paired with electrification. So I'm not at all anti-electric. In fact, electrification is a very good path to reduce emissions for a lot of applications. That leaf blower that I just mentioned, great application for electrification. Other applications may not be light aircraft, unmanned aerial vehicles, you know, even when you look at the aviation sector, that sector still uses leaded fuel. There's a lot of pollutants that we're unaware of that are around us every day that we're trying to reduce. And pairing our technology either as primary propulsion or with, a, let's say, a PHEV style system, you know, utilizing electricity can really drastically reduce emissions in these sectors. Well, let me jump to something before we drill down more deeply into this. You told me a fairly entertaining story about the first time you became aware of this on a lake in Michigan, I think. Tell me that story. Yeah, so I'm originally from Buffalo, New York area. I grew up out in kind of farm country out there. Not a lot of inland lakes. And when I moved to Michigan purposely to be in the automotive industry, I'm one of those crazy people that love this industry, love this technology. You know, growing up in kind of a farm type environment, you really didn't see the impact that maybe we are having on this world that we live in. The first time I got onto a jet ski, I saw the oil slick left behind. And it was actually kind of eye-opening to me of, wow, I cannot believe that we're putting this into the same source of where our drinking water is coming from. Once I had kids, it actually even made that thought process even more as a driving force to help what we're doing in this world and help reduce emissions and have a positive impact because it really got down to, you know, what am I leaving behind for the next generation? And I wanted to come up with a way that we could leave the world a cleaner, better place than when I came into it. So that's really interesting. So I can get up and get in my electrified vehicle and drive to my lake cottage. 
neither of which I have, by the way, uh, <laughs> but theoretically, and feel good about that. But then I go jump on my jet ski and whip around for a while. I use my leaf blower to clear it off, then mow the lawn. And I've used a lot more. I've, I've kicked out a lot more missions than I thought I was. And I, I need not forget about those. But that's what you're doing. So let's go into what it is that Alpha Auto Technologies is doing, how you got started, and, and where your energies are going, and what you are specifically doing in this off-road sector to help address this problem. So, yeah, Tim, there's, there's a lot of things that we're doing, and I'm going to try to stay out of the technical weeds here. But what we're doing is fundamentally changing the way air is pumped in and out of an internal combustion engine. And by doing this, we can drastically improve power, reduce the weight of the system, and reduce emissions. Specifically, what we're trying to do is work with greenhouse gas neutral fuels, so net zero carbon neutral fuels, so that we can actually be competitive with electrification. So to your point of you jumped into an electric car, one of the, the fallacies that a lot of people have about electrification is that it is zero emissions. That vehicle does have emissions. Those emissions were just made somewhere else. And our goal is to truly reach net zero with our technology using renewable fuels, such as ethanol. Um, there's even engineered fuels out there that we're looking at using that truly are carbon neutral. One of the other things that is really important to note in any sort of combustion system, be it a power plant or an engine, is there's more emissions than just greenhouse gases. And this is the other things that we're trying to tackle with our technology. Um, these gases are often referred to as smog-creating gases. This is kind of what you hear about when you hear of smog in California. These are nitrogen oxides, organic gases, carbon monoxides. Believe it or not, the small engine sector, that is engines below 19 kilowatts, are responsible for more of these smog-inducing gases than the automotive sector is today. So we're going beyond with our technology just attacking the greenhouse gas problem. We're trying to attack the other problems that also come along with combustion in general, be it in a power plant or an internal combustion engine. So you mentioned something there that um, things aren't fully zero emissions. In some ways, that is a misnomer. Unpack that a little bit for me about why zero emissions, when it's used so cavalierly, cavalierly often, is a uh, maybe a misnomer. Yeah, the, the zero emissions aspect comes from that the vehicle itself in operation isn't producing emissions. However, it took emissions to produce the vehicle. It took emissions to power, provide the power for the vehicle. So, for example, a, a electric car where you're getting grid power produced by a coal-fired power plant does have CO2 emissions greenhouse gas emissions associated with it. Beyond the greenhouse gas associated with the power it takes to, to charge that car, there's greenhouse gas emissions associated with building that car. So you hear about the lithium mines that were mining lithium to make all these batteries. 
All those are usually powered by big diesel equipment that's earth moving to get to those lithium deposits and are all uh, contributing to the carbon footprint of just making that vehicle. There's actually research out there that partial PHEVs, plug-in hybrids, might actually be the better solution than a fully electric car because now what you can do is you don't have all the carbon associated with making the batteries and you can run the engine system on a renewable fuel. That actually may be better from a carbon neutral standpoint than what we're using today for purely battery electric vehicles. Well, can some of the modified, if I can use that word, internal combustion engines that Alpha Auto is producing actually eat into the problem that goes into mining and equipment and other things as well? So, so it helps zero emissions get actually closer to zero? Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. Because we're attacking this off-road sector, it's not just recreational vehicles. It's not just, you know, the vehicles that you would consider, you know, as maybe fun vehicles. We're actually trying to attack the commercial sectors that these are requirements. So, for example, agriculture where, you know, farming, there's a lot of CO2 related to farm equipment, to this earth moving equipment that I had referenced. So, yeah, if we can tackle this on both fronts as far as the propulsion side of things, but also cleaning up the equipment that actually is helping support electrification, we're overall going to to lower our carbon footprint. Well, let's break down and tell me a two-part question. I want to break down the three parts so that we understand where they are. And then I would like to understand what you're working on most. Maybe you're working on all of them. Maybe you're working on one for a certain reason, but what you're working on most specifically and why. But let's break down these three parts. First of all, the true off-road part is I think of ATVs, lawnmowers, what else falls into that category? Any off-road equipment. So, you know, tractors, earth movers, like I had mentioned, UAVs, marine applications, all of those things would be considered off-road. Well, like, what about that big farming equipment? You're driving along through Ohio or Indiana or Iowa and you see these monster threshers or whatever, those as well, those kinds of things? Correct, yes. Now, well, now you said marine. I don't know. I thought I was thinking marine was its own sector. What uh, Do all boats, are people making battery-driven electrified boats or are they all the old internal combustion engines? They, they are starting to look at using battery systems for boats, but Actually, boats is a great example of an application where it just may not make sense. In fact, I've been working with a university other than Kettering in the UP, Michigan Tech, and they were looking at electrifying the fleet of um, ferries in Mackinac Island. And because of the duty cycle of those uh, ferry systems, Um, you would literally have to fill the boat with batteries to make it to the island and back and have no passengers. Um, This is how this is a great example of a system that is not a good system for electrification. A diesel engine is currently in that running at about 75% duty cycle. It's at a very efficient point for a diesel, not saying diesel is good on emissions, just efficiency wise. 
you would literally have to trade your entire payload, your entire passenger space for batteries to make this a viable solution because of the load that a boat requires versus an automobile. It's very easy from a road load standpoint to roll weight down a road. It is much different when you're looking at farm equipment, for example, that has a lot of load on it because of what you're doing or a boat that has to push itself through water. Um, These are not good applications for our current electrification technology. I know that ferry. I know those ferries very, very well. I heard there was research in northern Michigan up up there for trying to get those to run on fudge and cherries. That's, (laughs) That's an inside joke for those of you all who go to northern Michigan and fudge and cherries are uh are, are two of the uh, primary tourist attractions up there. What about the uh, hydrofoils? Where do they, f- they fit into that? So that is a way to reduce drag. So but that it's, still, it, it's still an emission-producing engine. It's still an emission-producing engine, correct. Okay, well, now um, let me, and let me jump into something that surprised me is aviation. Do all planes from the little Cessna down to the uh, up to the, uh, the the biggest jumbo jets and over to the military fighter jets. Are they all run on leaded fuel? So no. So the the jet powered engines do not run on leaded fuel. They actually run on a, a jet type fuel. It's more like a kerosene or a diesel okay. type fuel. But any other piston engine that is still in use will use a leaded fuel. And you may think, oh, this isn't a, this isn't, might not be a big market. It's actually much bigger than you would think. 180 million gallons of aviation fuel, of leaded fuel, is used each year. So this is not a small space, even though it, you may not see it. It is still significantly large as far as putting emissions and, quite frankly, lead still in our environment. So what we're talking about is, is basically prop aircrafts private and commercial correct okay now uh but but a lot of these things it doesn't as you as you talked about when you're talking about the boats they're just not amenable to this uh change so where are you putting your efforts it seems to me now that this this sector is is massive where are you putting your efforts or are you putting them into some generic that engine working that can go anywhere. Talk to me about that. So um, great question. And actually, it's again, another way of how we can support electrification. So electrification is an important way to gain efficiencies in any sort of, of transportation. So for example, an engine tends not to be efficient at certain speed load points. If you use electrification, like a hybrid type architecture, you can run an engine at its very peak efficiency and then use that to charge a battery bank and then use electrification for your primary propulsion vehicle. And that's actually, Tim, where we're focusing. So if you look at applications, like even like a tractor that we had mentioned before or a lawnmower, some of these for commercial use are great applications for really PHEV type technology, where we're running an engine, a very small lightweight engine system at a very peak efficiency point and charging that battery bank and allowing the vehicle still to be primarily, the primary propulsion system to be electric. And when we look at this, 
our our thought process is the demand for energy is only increasing in the United States and in the world. And as we electrify that demand for having backup systems, so think of these things more of like backup portable generators that can go into any of these electrified systems. So, you know, one of the thoughts processes that we even had is, let's say you have a, bought, a, bought a new Ford F-150 Lightning and you have to now trailer something up north. Your range gets cut in half because of the wind resistance of your trailer. Well, what happens if that trailer had a range extender on it that was actually feeding power back to the truck based on the payload that you are now carrying? So we look at it as a technology, a lightweight, portable range extender, portable power generation technology that will help enable electrification and peak efficiency. Peak efficiency meaning we're reducing overall carbon emissions. We are talking with John Kurzminski founder and chief technology officer of Alpha Auto Technologies, about Alpha Auto's efforts to develop clean, carbon-neutral combustion engine technologies for those hundreds of millions of engines for which electrification may not be possible or advisable. So who are you? First of all, how old is your company? Um, relatively been, new, right? It's relatively new. We've been redoing R and D on this through multiple companies. Alpha Auto is brand new, basically, because we're using that to market this technology and commercialize it. But we've been working on this now for about four years from an R and D standpoint. And there are not a lot of people doing exactly what you're doing, focusing on the sector you're focusing on. Is that correct? That is correct. And, and one of the things is that uh, you know, to help better define this sector of what we're trying to do is we realize that there's a huge demand for an internal combustion on or off-road. What we're trying to do is make it lightweight, portable, and efficient that can also run on truly renewable and carbon neutral fuels. That is the biggest thing that we're trying to accomplish that nobody else is working on today. So that makes you, as I would assume, a B2B business selling to manufacturers who are your what what types of companies are you selling to or or hoping to sell to yeah not only are we b2b but we're more of a technology company in the sense of our goal is not to ever actually manufacture the engine technology there is so much capacity for manufacturing in the world today our goal is to partner with those companies that have that manufacturing capacity. So if you're looking at like a, a Polaris or a Kohler or even a Generac that already have the capability to produce small engines, we would be just implementing our technology onto their platforms, um, looking to partner with a company like that, you know, hopefully help bring this new sector to the market. And when I say new sector, this sector for helping clean carbon neutral portable power generation for all of these applications. Well, now there's a lot of speculation about when the clean electric vehicles will gain dominance, when the, the electrified vehicles are going to gain dominance over the internal combustion vehicles and when all the charging stations are out there and when basically everyone's driving uh, electrified vehicles and then you hear about it with other trucks and buses and so on. When do you think we're going to see this cleaner type of 
engine being deployed predominantly in leaf blowers and jet skis and other areas in this off-road sector? Are we looking three years out or, or 15 years out or what? Not 15, but probably realistically five to 10, where they will start to be more prolific in the marketplace. The other thing is, you know, related to this is even battery technology in which you're mentioning about the newer technology of, of electrification coming on board. Until batteries, battery density is about three times what we have today, power density. Battery electric is still a very difficult technology to implement in a lot of these applications. And then to expand on that, we've only seen the demand for portable power generation with electrification growing. So for example, you know, you asked, when is it going to be the market? But then the next question is, is this market growing? And it is. To give you an example, we're at about 180 million engines produced today. By 2030, we're projected to be at 370 million engines a year. Wow. And people kind of scratch their heads and go, well, why would we need more engines when electrification is coming on board? Well, our technology is advancing. Our demand for electricity in general, our demand for power in general keeps growing. So for example, yes, we might have better electric technology for our vehicles, but if you live in Florida and you're trying to get out of there and your power goes out because there's a hurricane, you better have an engine sitting around that can provide you with backup power so that you can charge your car and you can leave. And, you know, if you even look at, you know, what Generac has done and their market share and backup power generation, the more and more that we become dependent on electricity, the more and more backup power becomes really important to us as well. So uh, you answered this question, I think, uh, in another way, but I want to ask it more directly. There are certain places where uh, batteries and electrification don't work very well. We've talked about those. I think you said marine. There may be areas where you're stuck. Where is a place that is going to be untouched from any of these new technologies, either your stuff or batteries? Is there any sector of the market that is just we don't have the answer for yet? No, I think, and what I should say is, we have the answer. It's just how difficult is it going to be? And, and maybe that's maybe my, my engineering brain at work here in the sense of we can clean things up, but the question is, is how expensive and how difficult it is it going to be? So diesels are still one of the biggest greenhouse gas producing as well as NOx and smog producing vehicles. However, there are technologies out there that can help reduce that. They just come at a, at a cost. But I think to answer your question, maybe more directly on our technology specifically, is applications that are extremely sensitive to weight, where the powertrain is a high percentage of your overall vehicle mass, is where our technology makes the most sense to implement. And what we're targeting. So, for example, going back to the jet ski that I noticed was very polluting when I first moved to Michigan, a jet ski's mass or the powertrain mass of a jet ski is about 40% of the overall mass of the vehicle. And that is extremely hard to electrify. You just can't put enough batteries on there for it to make sense for the weight of the overall application. 
This is another good example is drones, where every pound matters because if you have a pound in battery weight, you then will lose payload capacity and range with the with the drone. The one thing that's difficult with batteries is they don't lose mass as you lose charge. At least with a, a liquid fuel, you actually lose mass as you as you travel. So the more mass that you have to carry with you, the the lower your range for those type of applications. Those type of applications, Tim, battery electric will always have a disadvantage over internal combustion. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, hey, it's okay that you there's a disadvantage. In fact, there's going to be a place for internal combustion, but we just want to do it clean and responsible. So if we can provide a snowmobile, for example, that runs on a carbon neutral fuel, you are still getting the performance that you're expecting, but without the environmental impact. Now, changing course just a little bit, something we haven't discussed, because this is, is, is a bit of news that came out this past week. Very, very exciting news. I don't know if it affects the internal combustion engine world or just the other world, but they recently announced out of Livermore that they had finally succeeded at a very low level in creating fusion energy. How does that impact everything we're talking about today, if at all? It does impact us a lot. So what it, what I mean by that is energy in general, as it becomes cleaner, if it's fusion, if it's nuclear power, we can better regulate where our CO emissions, our greenhouse gas emissions are coming from. You know, I had an economics professor at, uh, at Kettering that, you know, always would say there's no such thing as a free lunch. And with any of these technologies, there is no such thing as a free lunch. There's always a trade-off. So the idea, though, is to produce the least amount of environmental impact, the least amount of carbon emissions. And if we can get a better way to produce more environmentally friendly waste way to reproduce power, then that actually makes a better argument again for battery electric. However, like I had said in the beginning, we're not opposed. In fact, battery electric is a great technology. Regardless of that, Tim, if you can't get power to your house or you can't get power to that application, yeah. you are still going to rely on internal combustion. One of the biggest things that we found when we did our market discovery work is a lot of vehicles, what we consider recreational to a lot of the country in remote areas are not. Snowmobiles and side-by-side -side UTVs are not considered a recreational vehicle. This is how some people get to work. You know, if you live in Northern climates, you may be going to the store on a snowmobile. And in those Northern climates, you don't have a way of getting power to those remote areas. So no matter what, yes, fusion is great. And you can we can maybe create some clean power. But there's a lot of the world, especially third world countries, where they just don't have the infrastructure yet to transmit that power. And you are still going to need a way to portably, cleanly, in an environmentally friendly way, generate power on site. So the internal combustion engine isn't going to go away at least in a lot of applications, but you're working hard to make it as clean as other things that we're working on and more in other sectors. Correct. And, and yeah, that's like, that's the biggest takeaway, Tim, is the internal combustion engine, in our opinion, is not going away. The data, like I said before, 
we're going to almost double our engine capacity by 2030. By 2050, we're going to still have demand. So in my lifetime, in the foreseeable future, there will always be an internal demand for internal combustion engine technology. Well, let me ask, what else do we need to know about the future, about the off-road sector, about electrification, about clean energy in vehicles, about internal combustion engines that we haven't talked about. Obviously, we could talk for days, but for the purposes of this podcast, what else would you throw in that maybe people ought to know? I think I'm just going to re-highlight, Tim, is there's no such thing as a zero emissions vehicle. I really want people to really walk away from this podcast with that. You know, one of the things that has been frustrating to me as I've watched the electrification landscape is California just came out with the banning internal combustion engines by 2030. What they've really done is they've exported their emissions. Those emissions are going to be produced somewhere, likely Washington state, and to power all those electric vehicles that are in California. So what we really need is a holistic approach and a realistic holistic approach I don't think there is one solution. And I think in a way with how there's so much excitement around electrification today, it is one solution. But I think if we really want to be responsible and really implement things that can be done now, we have to look at all solutions, alternative fuels, engineered fuels, other ways of uh, reducing, reducing carbon than just maybe a perception of reduced carbon. And what we're doing at Alpha Auto is we look at it as right now we're starting with this off-road sector because there's a huge, huge um, overlooked area here. However, as we grow, our goal is to attack internal combustion in all applications. And in those applications that maybe we can't get clean power to. And I think really, maybe that's what I'm trying to, like I said, what what I'd ask you to walk away from is really try to pay attention to where your emissions are are coming from. I know a lot of people feel good when they buy an electric car. Uh, I would ask you to look at into how uh, all that lithium is mined. It is is not environmentally friendly. And I think we need to, to work on perceptions versus reality. And when we are done and leave this world to our next generation, did we really do the right thing to reduce the overall impact on on the world that we live in? But it's still, right now, one of the better things we can do is a battery-powered engine or electric or a hybrid over the old internal combustion. Is Am I not, I do want to clarify that, even though it's not perfect. It's not perfect. In fact, the, the absolute best thing that you can do right now is actually use a renewable fuel that has the least amount of impact on the environment because it is truly renewable. So a fuel like ethanol is actually something that we can uh, implement today and have an overall less impact than even a battery electric vehicle. Why has that not, I mean, it came out a lot during various and sundry uh, oil crises and then it went away. Why was that? There's a lot of work that still needs to be done for ethanol to be a viable fuel overall. And just like electrification, there needs to be more distribution. There needs to be uh, more engineering done on the the vehicle side. So I had the opportunity to work almost 20 years for automotive OEMs. 
the calibration aspect of an engine takes several years in itself, a lot of cost associated with it. And until a majority of our fuels would switch over to like an ethanol-based fuel, there just is not an economic incentive for the car companies or any application to put the effort in and the cost in to uh, developing it to run on that application. All right. Well, certainly a lot to think about. It's been educational, informative talking to you. And John Krasminski, keep fighting for the off-road sector and all this area that maybe the rest of us forgot. Thank you for looking after the environment. Thank you for your commitment to leaving the world a better or cleaner place than when you got here. I appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. And I appreciate your time. And, and uh, hopefully your audience found, found this informative and interesting today. Maybe, oh, maybe more interesting than informative. <laughs> good luck to you and to uh, Alpha Auto Technologies. Thank you again, John Kuzminski. Join us again to hear Kettering University's podcast, Horsepower to Hyperloops. Available from wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.